that we have the amazing privilege just to go straight to Jesus and talk to him. <laughs> the other day I was watching a show and it was a comedy and this guy goes into this confession booth at this church. And he said, forgive me, Father, it's been <laughs> years since I <laughs> confessed. And I just laughed at that. But on the other hand, I was just thinking, it's awesome that I don't have to go to a priest. I don't have to go to an idol. I can go straight to my God Almighty. Amen. And call on his name. I'm thankful that we have the amazing privilege to worship a God who hears his children, who loves his children, who hears us. But in return, that we can open our ears to hear his voice, to speak to us, to show us to guide us and to lead us. I'm thankful for who he is and what he's doing in our hearts and our lives. I'm thankful for what he's doing in our church and the excitement that is, that is dwelling up in this place and seeing what God is doing. How many believe that he is all we need this morning? Amen, amen. He is all we need. You are all we need, Jesus. You are all we need, oh God. Most in your presence is here. Your presence is here. Your spirit is near. And I need you. Oh, your love and grace abound. Jesus was lost, but now I'm found. And I need you. Come on, from the highest of highs, from the highest of highs. To the lowest, His glory, Your glory will be known. Oh, and I worship You, my King. You're the one who makes my heart to sing. You are all I need. You are all I need. 
above all kings. I'm a child above all that I can ask or think of.
ears to hear, open our minds to understand, open our hearts to receive, oh God. We bless your name, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, one last time. Can we just celebrate his name? Amen. you and say, I'm no longer slaves. Amen. I'm not a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. A couple of things I just want to visit with you about that you need to be aware of. We're making some plans to continue moving forward. And often I get asked the question, how do I become a member? When is water baptism? How do you get involved in this church? What does this church believe? And we have a secret handshake that you have to know to find out those answers. Otherwise, you'll never know. And only the initiated can find out. So we wanted to fix that. And you're going to hear a two-word um, title that's going to become part of the fabric of what we do. It's called Launchpad. Launchpad is the place for you to find out everything you want to know about Berean. Uh, meets at 9.15, I believe, upstairs in the north end of the uh, building. And it's not just a membership class. It's much more than that. If you want to know what it takes to be a member here, go to Launchpad. If you want to know how to volunteer, go to Launchpad. If you want to know what we believe, go to Launchpad. If you want to get involved in any capacity, go to Launchpad. If you just want to meet some people and get in a small group connection, go to Launchpad. If you want to know more about connect groups, go to Launchpad. Everybody say Launchpad. And so the goal will be that before you do anything at Berean, you'll attend Launchpad. It's really simple. It's only 52 weeks long. It's actually four weeks long, and they are not uh, consecutive. In other words, you can do one, two, three, and four, or you can go on week four and go four, one, two, three, or you can go to two and go two, three, four, one, or you can go three and go three, four, one, two. How many think I'm doing a great job right now? Isn't that amazing? I want you to be in awe of my math skills right there. So join Launchpad. I want you to be a part of that. You can sign up in the lobby. We have iPads out there where you can join in and there'll be someone there to help you. If you need assistance, you can go online. All of our information is there. Right now, you would go to Digital Bulletin on our webpage, but that's gonna change to Brian 411 so that all the information you need will be in that one spot. So everybody say, Launchpad! We want you to be a part of that and that'll give you everything you need to know about how to get connected at Berean. Second, connect groups are open this week for sign up. We've also reopened for leaders. We'd like to have some more leaders, some more homes, some more people involved. What are connect groups? Connect groups are much more than just a home group doing a Bible study. There are several components to that. There'll be a fellowship time, a prayer time, a Bible study time, and a mission uh, commitment to that group. And it's a great way for you to get connected. There isn't any way for us to stay on top of all of the needs that are in this body. I'll have someone come to me regularly. No one, thankfully, this morning, but someone normally will come to me and say, oh, by the way, I'm having surgery on on Monday and they're reattaching my head, you know, or some serious surgery that's going on and we didn't know anything about it. So connect groups with the place, pastoral care, life change all happen in small groups. 
And uh, I wanted to take a little bit of time to tell you that you need to be in a connect group. We want you to be in a connect group. They're only six weeks long. They'll be based on a trimester system. So this is the fall trimester. Um, six weeks, there'll be one week of getting acquainted, four weeks of Bible study, and the sixth week will have to do with some kind of missions component. How many believe that people who love Jesus ought to be involved in some kind of mission commitment? All right, so we want you to be in a connect group. Join us for that. You can sign up again in the lobby or ask one of the staff to help you or simply go to our website, brianhub.com, and uh, we'll get you connected that way. A few weeks ago, we watched the Wickershams go on the mission field to Texas. And they come back every now and then for a refreshing called the fair. But that left an opening on the board, and we're glad to let you know that we have appointed a board member who will serve until the annual business meeting to fill that part of the term while you have a chance to um, ratify at that juncture. But let me just kind of give you a little idea of the process. What happens in a appointment process to fill a gap? Um, what we do is I'm, we involve the staff and the board, and we evaluate all the names that have, been a, that have been nominated over the last couple of years, whether they agreed to serve as a nominee or not. And we have a number of great leaders here at Berean, and I'm so thankful for the individuals we have. A lot of conversation, a lot of weighing over the options, a lot of names that rose to the top. Unfortunately, there was only one spot, and I really don't want to work with a board of 45 people, so we'll keep it at that seven number, but I'm glad to introduce to you the person who'll be serving in that capacity. Randy Zondervan, would you come to the platform? And I want to take this opportunity to explain to you what the role of the board is. This is not a democracy, it's a church. The role of the board is not to find out all the trouble spots and represent you to the pastor. The role of the board as elders together, we seek the will of God, we determine God's vision for us, and together as a board of elders, we communicate that back to the body. And those that are on the board always have other areas that they're committed in. And um, Randy and Jessica have both been involved here for a number of years in a variety of ways, and kids, men, and just about anywhere that we need a volunteer, we know that they're willing to step in. And so I wanted this morning, Randy, to say welcome. Glad to have you on the board and look forward to what God does for us in the future. Amen. Give Randy a big hand. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. Well, it's not by design, but this has kind of been Missions Month. Over the last month, about three weeks ago, we heard from a couple that are returning from the field and going into stateside ministry. Uh, two weeks ago, we heard from a missionary to the 50s plus crowd, the second halfers. And this morning, we have another couple of missionaries that I've known for a, a quite some time. Uh, Daryl and Seanette Hannon have really got acquainted through um, ISOM. And Sean, Ed, I tell this whenever I get an opportunity. Um, they attended my hermeneutics course, and I'll never forget, she's sitting there right at a table, looks at me at the end of Friday night, and she just almost stomped your foot and looked at me and said, I am not coming back tomorrow. I'm done. I'm not, I can't, I can't do this. And so I said, you know, come back tomorrow and you'll feel better. And I think she did. I don't know. Never asked her again. But God began to do a work in their lives, called them to the mission field. They now serve in Cameroon, and they're going to give us a little window into their world. Would you give the Hannons a welcome this morning? 
Amen. Blessings. I think he asked, is anyone want to not come back tomorrow? And I raised my hand. I'm just saying that's a, yeah. <laughs> we want to say thank you to Pastor for you. You're all our partners. You're our partners in taking the good news to those who've never heard in Cameroon, Africa. There are over two and a half million Fulani in Cameroon who are Muslim who need to hear the good news. And we know the truth. We believe the promise will be fulfilled that we see in Romans 15, 21. Those who've never been told will see, and those who've never heard will understand. So one afternoon when, ooh, sorry, it's really hot. So one afternoon when we were um, going to visit in our Muslim neighborhood, uh, we arrived at our friend's house and their son, Awa, was lying on the couch, pretty lethargic. And um, when I picked up my little buddy and I just held him and I realized he had a very high fever, he was dehydrated, he was gonna need some care. So after making an assessment of the situation, we asked if we could pray for him. So they let us pray for him. We prayed for healing in Jesus' name. Later that day, I said to his father, you know, he didn't just drink bad water. He's gonna need some help. And he said, oh, we don't have money, he'll be fine. And I said, well, if we come back tomorrow and he's still sick, then we're going to take him. So the next morning we arrived and Awa was more lethargic, just lying on the couch, had not eaten, had not drank anything. And so we just scooped him up and said, we're going to the doctor. Mind you, this was with a little bit of French that we knew. <laughs> and as we did that, we hopped in our speed the light truck, go speed the light, yeah. And um, the father, to our surprise, jumped in with us. And over the next week, we had realized that Awa had malaria, he was in the final stages of malaria. His kidneys were starting to shut down, but God allowed us to get him some care. And as we did that, I sat and held him for five days while he received infusions and, and red blood cells. And as we spent time with them and that week came to a close, we began to see the miraculous part of the story. And that was that his father, Abdurrahman, began to open his heart to Jesus' love. And you guys are a vital part of that story because your partnership allowed us to be there right when Allah needed us. During that time, I would tell his dad, Abdurrahman, God loves you. He's taking care of your family. Muslims don't know that God can love them. And it was amazing at the end of that week to hear him repeat back to me, yes, God loves me and our family. You know what? We became part of their family that week. And the amazing thing was that God allowed me to give him a Bible in his native language. Now, this man is a Quranic teacher, but God put the word in his hands. And we know that words have been placed there, and we know that it will not return void. And we thank you for that. As we return to Africa in December, we'll be moving to a much um, higher populated area, about 12 hours north of where we lived the first time. And we'll be living among a 95% Muslim population. Learn everything all over again. But as we do that, we're gonna work really hard to learn their heart language so we can share Jesus with them, the language of full fidei. We'll also be looking for creative access, ways to get into their lives to share Jesus' love. All the while, just planting the church. That's what we're there for, right? Is to share Jesus and the gospel. You know, there's many more needed. We can't reach two and a half million people in Cameroon. God has called us. 
we believe he's calling others to join us. And it's very possible one of those people could be sitting here listening to us today. And if that's you, say yes, because we know God will do the rest. Amen. So we just want to say thank you this morning. We know that you guys are here, that you're praying, you're partnering with us. You've sent us. And we just thank you from the bottom of our heart. And so we do have a text up there. Um, I, that's from you guys. Oh, okay, here's, okay, there's two. Take your choice. They both work. And then Daryl and I are carrying prayer cards. If you just take this, you want to follow our journey, you can find me on Facebook. I'll invite you into our private page because of the context we're working in. Um, it's called Hannons in Africa. And then we just want to say thank you for helping us plant a vibrant church within walking distance of every Cameroonian for an increasingly redeemed and transformed Africa. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to invite you to be a part of their ministry financially. There are always needs in missions. And as you see on the screen, you can text to give this morning the dollar sign, the amount, the name Hannon to 84321, the dollar sign, then the amount. You don't have to put parentheses around the amount. Just put the dollar sign, the amount, the name Hannon to 84321. You can also give uh, live right now if you want to make out an envelope and drop it in the box on your way out. Or you can fill out an offering envelope and say, in the next 30 days, I want to be able to give this much money to their ministry. Put that on an envelope and drop that in the box. But we want to bless them and uh, encourage them with our giving this morning. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's do that. Thank you so much. One more time, give it up for the Hannons. Good to have you here this morning. Hope you enjoy this video. To the broken and to the hurting, to the desperate and to the defeated, to the common, the average, the plain and the small, I want you to know you matter to God. To the washed up and the worn out, to the helpless and the hopeless, to the cast outs, the dropouts, the last picks and hypocrites, to the unimpressive and the underwhelming to the nobodies and has-beens, to people just like me. You matter to God. You are not defined by your worst days or your biggest mistakes. And you are not the sum total of all your setbacks, slip-ups, failures, and faults. Because who you are is not determined by what you have, where you've been, or what you've done, but who Jesus declares you to be. You matter to God. Maybe at some point somebody told you something that simply wasn't true that you're nothing but unworthy, unwanted, and unloved. But I want the loudest voice in your ear to be the voice that breaks the cedars and shakes the wilderness. And he says, you matter to me. Before the galaxies were born, or the first star gave light, before the ocean waves crashed, or the night sky cracked with thunder, before any creature crawled or any bird sang, before the planets were set in motion, he set in motion the plan of your salvation. From the highest heights of heaven, the Lord of all creation looked upon your desperation. He became like one of us to remake all of us, to make an orphan his child, to make a rebel his friend, to set the prisoner free. You matter to God. So to all the sons and daughters of God, to all my brothers and sisters in Christ, behold his power and glory and majesty. Behold the one who matters 
most. Amen, amen, amen. You matter to God. We're beginning a new series this morning titled God Works in Mysterious Ways. And I want to tell you at the onset what my goal over the next four weeks really is. And that is that you'll see God at work in your life in ways you may not have seen him at work before. When I've taught at the Iowa School of Ministry, the local church in evangelism, one of the things that I ask at the beginning is how many of you believe that you are evangelizing and almost no one raises their hand. We're not really engaged in that because we have this picture of evangelism as uh, used to be in door to door or a number of other evangelism explosion. You got to pound on the door, meet them, give them the gospel, get them to pray. And if they don't cry, we don't buy. You know, you have to really drive it home. And, and when you understand as evangelism, moving people closer to God, all of a sudden believers begin to recognize I'm doing more of that than I realized that I was. Because if you are a child of God, you will be sharing your faith. Come on, you will be. It'll be your nature to talk to people about Jesus. The number one place that people make a commitment of their life to Jesus Christ is still the local church. And so as you're sharing and nudging and moving people, they're going to find a place of relationship to Jesus. The same is true with God's working in our lives. There are times that he's at work that I think we have felt as though he wasn't when he was. How many of you know that when you don't see him, he's working? How many of you know when you don't hear him, he's working? Come on, I said, how do you know when you don't know it, he is still on the throne, he's still on the job, he's still at work, he's doing things that we're oblivious to. It does, though, make me laugh when someone tells me that the Bible says God works in mysterious ways. How many know it doesn't say that? If you didn't know that, then you need to go to Launchpad and help you get engaged because it doesn't say that. It doesn't say wise men still seek him today. It doesn't say cleanliness is next to godliness. But we have these principles that we talk about that we have to discover really where they came from, what their authority is. Well, that phrase, God works in mysterious ways, is actually from a hymn that was written by a man named William Cowper. Now, William Cowper became one of the greatest songwriters or hymn writers in church history. But I want you to know a little bit about him and where that song came from to set the stage for the next four weeks. William Cowper grew up in a Christian environment, but he never had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Went through the school system, graduated from college, and his dad said he felt like he needed to be a lawyer and pushed himself toward law. And it was the night before his oral exams when he was overwhelmed with depression, despair, discouragement, and he decided that day to take his life. And he tried several times and failed at it, and that made him even more discouraged. He went to bed to sleep, and he woke up at three in the morning with this overwhelming sense of discouragement. And he thought, well, I'm going to take my life. I've got to end it. It's three in the morning. He gets up, and he pulls out a pocket knife grabs a pocket knife, tries to plunge it in his chest, and the blade breaks. So then he thinks, well, I'll tie myself to the bedpost around my neck, and I'll just lean backwards, and it'll strangle me. And so he ties it to the bedpost and around his neck, and then he um, falls backwards, and the bedpost breaks. So then he decides, well, I'm going to hang myself from the door. So he puts a rope around his neck, ties to the top of the door, hangs himself, and that seems to work. He at least goes unconscious when the rope breaks. 
He wakes up even more frustrating, saying, I'm such a failure that I can't even kill myself, was filled with a deep sense of self-hatred. His father found out what he was doing and thought he's got to be insane and put him in a mental institution. It happened that the presiding physician in this institution was a born-again believer. He began to share with William Cowper faith. Cowper described himself as a dirty little thing in the eyes of God, but this physician not only tried to minister him physically and mentally, but spiritually. And one day, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11 was read to him, and then Romans 3.25, and he says that his eyes were opened to the beauty of the grace offered in the gospel. Here's what he wrote in his journal about that moment. Immediately, I received the strength to believe it. And the full beams of the sun of righteousness shone upon me. I saw the sufficiency of the atonement he had made, my pardon sealed in his blood, and all the fullness and completeness of his justification. In a moment I believed and received the gospel, my eyes filled with tears, my voice choked with transport. I could only look up to heaven in silent fear, overwhelmed with love and wonder. He decides to stay at the institution for another years so they can be discipled from this doctor, but he still battled depression and discouragement and um, feeling as though he didn't have a right to live. Twice more, he attempted to kill himself and failed. He finally is discharged and he begins attending a church by another name that you probably would hear. How many have heard of John Newton? Heard of Amazing Grace and the battle against um, slavery? He and John Newton developed a close friendship and Newton would spend hours with him, counseling and discipling him and praying with him, never abandoning him as a lost cause or succumbing to Cowper's gloomy pessimism. He continued to share with him and said, you have a brilliant mind and you write some incredible poetry. I want you to work with me and we're going to write a book of hymns. Cowper poured his heart into writing the hymns, wrote a total of 68 hymns. Some of those you would be familiar with. He wrote one that's a little more distant, Oh, for a Closer Walk with God. And then he wrote this wonderful song. I hope you've heard it before. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. His spirit crying out to God. And then he wrote that song, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful sinners, fresh courage take. The clouds so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. God works in mysterious ways. 
And I want us to think about some of those mysterious ways that bring us to a place that sometimes we despair even in our own relationship to God and see that he's at work. I love that line, the bud may be bitter to taste, but the flower will be sweet to taste. He is doing a work in our lives. And the Bible does carry that idea that God works in mysterious ways. Listen to what Isaiah wrote in chapter 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5, God says, look among the heathen and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if it were told you. And Paul writes to the church in Rome, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. That's the God that we serve. He works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. Now this morning I want us to go to John 11. Actually, that's where I started in this series when I discovered the story behind God works in mysterious ways. And I want us to look at the account of the raising of Lazarus, maybe from a little different perspective. Let's think about what happened there and some principles that rise out of there. If you'll turn in your Bibles or your digital device to John chapter 11 and follow along. Do you know that there has to be a death before there can be a resurrection. Think about that for a moment. There has to be a death before there can be a resurrection. And we all celebrate the power of the resurrection. We celebrate the miracle working power that raises from the dead. But we don't often contemplate what the process was prior to the great miracle for someone to get ill, to suffer, to die tragically or over a long period of illness, watching them die. In this account, Lazarus is sick. He's described as Jesus' friend. And word comes to him that Lazarus isn't doing well. And it seems as though you would reach out to a friend. Well, none of you will. That's why we have connect groups. Are you hearing me? Wouldn't you? How many of you appreciate it when someone reaches out to you when you're not doing well? Let me see your hands. The rest of you, we're not going to worry about again. Don't complain about it. I said, how many of you appreciate when someone reaches out to you, you know? And, and sometimes it can, uh, it can be overdone. I get that. But all of us want someone to reach to us. Probably the number one complaint I hear in, ch in church ministry from the time I started was no one was there when I needed them and I don't have any friends. You hear it over and over and over again. But when you're hiding in a cave and won't connect with anybody, it's hard to help you. So connect groups, we're going to try to do that and get connected so that when you're sick, someone will come to you. That's what we want to have happen. But Jesus does nothing. Why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he respond? I mean, Mary and Martha, we'll see in a little while, are frustrated with him because he didn't come. The disciples, however, are kind of thankful that he's not going. When he talks about going to see Lazarus, they say, no, wait, 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 Jesus, wait, Jesus. Last time we're there, they tried to stone you. Are you sure you want to go back there? And finally, Thomas sums it up by saying, let's go with him so that we can die with him. What a great friend to have on your team. 
two days, let's go to Judea. Well, if he's sleeping, he's doing better. We don't need it to go. And I want you to notice what Jesus said. Look at verse 4. This sickness will not end in, end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And then we jump up to verse 14. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. <laughs> so you may believe, but let us go to it. I mean, think about, think about the impact of those words. You have someone in your family that dies, and you come to the office and say, nobody came. And one of the staff says, yeah, I'm glad we weren't there. That'd sting, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have any concept for what was being discussed. Why would Jesus say that? Why would, he, why would he say, I was glad that he died? Why would he say this won't end death? But it does end in death. He said, I was, I'm glad I was not there so that you might believe. We celebrate testimonies of great victories, but we don't celebrate the problems that brought the need for the victory. There is no mountaintop without a valley before it and after it. You can't have a resurrection until someone dies. So let me ask you, have you ever been in a place where you wondered, God, why aren't you doing something? I've shared this before, but when our firstborn was just a little, little bitty guy, and he got an ear infection, and our ear infections are from the devil. Have you ever had it? Come on, have you ever had a kid with ear infection? The only way they stop crying is when you hold them upright. It's hard to sleep holding a baby upright. And then you're holding them and they're, they're doing pretty good. That pressure has stopped a little bit. You go lay them back in the crib and they start screaming like a crazy person and you pick them up again. And, and it's on, I believe it happened on a Saturday night, at least in this story it did. And I remember we were living in this 14 by 60 trailer, nowhere to get away. Um, Carol's had her tour of duty. It's now my tour of duty. It's like two or three in the morning and I'm sitting there holding him. And I said out loud, God, where are you? If I were God, I'd fix this. You have the power, you have the ability, and you're not doing anything. You probably figured out that God didn't kill me in that moment. Anybody ever live where I was? Come on, help me this morning. I've been there. That's not the only time. When our son then, years later, 13 years old, diagnosed with cancer, and we're praying and people are praying and everybody's praying and then standing there and watch him go into that cold hole in the ground. God, where were you? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you do something? And we, that's the problem. We're asking the wrong question. When we say, why didn't you do something? That presupposes he isn't doing anything and we've forgotten that he's in control, that he's the miracle worker, that the goal shouldn't be God, respond in my moment, but God, how in this will you be glorified and what would you have me do? Because he's clearly at work even though no one knows it. God might be delaying until he can show his glory. God might be delaying 
so he can develop patience in you. Because it's a trial of our faith that works patience and let patience have its perfect work that she may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. He's doing something bigger than you know and the fact that he has delayed, the fact that he hasn't moved, the fact that you're in a trial doesn't mean he's not doing anything. He is trying to create a scenario that you will be able to believe and without this moment, they will follow Jesus to the resurrection and have no idea that anything can happen. I'm telling you, that sometimes in the moment of your trial, he's stretching you and building you and equipping you for a revelation of him that you'll need down the road. Don't ever assume that he's not doing anything. Don't ever assume that in your trial, nothing's happening. Just understand that there is never a miracle without there being a problem. I preached a message a number of years ago why I don't want a miracle. When you say, Pastor, I'd like to see a miracle, do you know what you're really saying? Pastor, I'd like to see somebody in a terrible trial. Because miracles aren't like magic tricks you see on the stage. Oh, let me do a miracle for you. Watch these birds. They're made of clay. They'll fly away. Miracles come in the night of darkness, in the moment of desperate need. And so when you say, I wish I could see a miracle, you're saying, I wish that I would be in trouble or someone else would be in trouble so that I can see God move. Isn't that pretty unhealthy? And yet, when people are there, now watch, when people are in that spot, and you've been in that spot, and you watched him bring you through, you can empathize with them and say, it may seem like he's not moving. It may seem like he's not doing anything, but I've been there. I've walked that road, and I'm telling you right now that there's not a moment that he's deaf. Come on. There's not a moment that he's blind. His arm is not shortened that he cannot save. His ear is not dull that he cannot hear. He's fully engaged, fully aware, fully committed to what's happening here and you need to trust him if he's not worried if he's not nervous why should you be and I had this revelation one day that I don't know that it helps everybody and I don't know if it'll make sense to you but when you don't know the future how many of you have ever lost a job and didn't know what you were going to do after that how many have faced sickness and didn't know if you'd make it through? You faced troubles in your home and didn't know how that would play out. On and on the list can go. Bills that you didn't expect. And you look at that and you say, what am I going to do? God, what are you going to do? <laughs> do you know that he already knows what he's going to do? That's why he's so calm. He already knows what he's going to do. So if you can learn to trust him, that he's the one who already knows what he's going to do. You can trust him in the delay, in the lack of response from human perspective because there cannot be a resurrection without there being a death. In other words, you can't see the glory of God until there's a need for the glory of God to be manifested. Second, this deliberate divine delay teaches us Delay reminds us that we're not in charge. Delay reminds us that we're not in charge. <laughs> Somehow I feel like my words are getting right to the end of the platform and hitting the floor, which normally means somebody needs to hear this this morning. Are you hearing me? Come on, someone help me this morning. 
you are not in charge. Look at your neighbor and say, you are not in charge. Didn't that feel liberating? Years ago, I talked to my barber. He said, a man was just in for a haircut. They'd been married 65 years. I said, well, that's amazing. He said, yeah, I asked him what the secret to a long uh, marriage was. And, And the old man said, it's simple, it's simple. When we're in the house, she's in charge. She decides where the furniture goes. She decides what we'll eat. She decides everything that goes on in the house. When, when I go outside, I'm in charge. I'm in charge of the yard. The garage is mine. The storage shed is mine. So when, when we're in the house, she's in charge. When I go outside, I'm in charge. And when she comes outside, she's in charge again. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to give up and admit that you're not in charge. In our spiritual walk, there are no vacancies in the Godhead. He's not calling to ask your opinion. And when you pray, he's not waiting for you to tell him what he should do. You're not in charge. I think sometimes God just lets us sit to bring us to the place to recognize that we're not in charge of what's going on in any sense of the term. I'm so glad Thomas wasn't in charge. When they get ready to go, I mean, what a guy, what a guy. If there ever was an Eeyore, I I tend to, I'm working on a a leadership paradigm based on the Wizard of Oz, but I also think that there should be a a discipleship paradigm based on Winnie the Pooh. Because we have too many Eeyores in the kingdom of God. How do we know who Eeyore is? It's bad, but it's going to be worse. And I'm so glad I'm a Christian. He says, yeah. Yeah, last time we were there, they wanted to stone him. And he doesn't say, let us go with him to be there to bind up his wounds. Let us go with him to be there if it turns bad. Let us go with him to support him and see what happens. It could get ugly. No, he's already decided Let us go with him that we may die with him. There's no room for negotiation there. He already knows it's bad and going to get worse. How many of you are glad that Thomas is not in charge of your life? Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Do you ever, I'm sorry, do you ever want to say to someone, do you have to keep talking? Could you, here's some coffee. Could you drink it? Maybe it'll burn your tongue and you'll have suck on ice and I don't have to listen to any more of this. You know, I don't, I don't have to listen anymore. Do you have to? Let's go with him that we die with him. I'm so glad that the Eeyores are not in charge of the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't an Eeyore. God the Father is not an Eeyore. God the Father is the God of all glory and might. And he's not in charge. Jesus had already told them that this would not end in death so that their faith would be strengthened. Thomas only saw the option of death. Good news, Thomas is not in charge of the outcome. When we come to Martha and Mary in verse 21 of chapter 11, they come running out in accusatory tone. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had just been here, 
this wouldn't have happened. And I don't know if you've ever been in that scenario where you look at what happened and said, God, you could have done something. If you had just been here, if you'd just shown up, this would not have happened. Later, he sees Mary and she says the same thing. If you had just been here. No, do you know what would have happened if he'd been there? <laughs> Sorry, but when you look at me like that, it just messes me up, but. He'd have had to stand there and watch Lazarus die. Wouldn't that have been worse? I mean, wouldn't it? Aren't you going to do something? No, we're here to watch him die. (sighs) Because I want you to see the glory of God. And that can't happen. It can't be resurrection without a death. So, yeah, anybody got cookies? We're just going to, you know, sell tickets. We're going to sit around. We're going to watch him die. No, you see, Mary and Martha aren't in charge. As I've already said, God isn't waiting for you to present an agenda for him. To say, God, this is how you should fix this. I mean, I can just imagine God calling Jesus over and saying, hey, a prayer just came up and it's a brand new idea I've never thought of before. It's brand new. We ought to try this one. Even if your motivation is right, even if you want to see a miracle, even if you want to see God move, you're not in charge. You don't dictate the outcome. They're accusing him of not being what God wanted him to be. They're accusing him of not responding as he should. You have failed us. I don't know any child of God who's honest, who hasn't said it sometime. I feel like God let me down. I feel like God let me down. Do you know why you feel that way? Because you've scripted a response that you expected God to perform. And when he didn't perform, he failed your plan. Do you know why your plan needs to fail? To remind you that you are not in charge. He has a multitude of ways of responding to every situation that comes to us. And he will bring the answer to to pass. Jesus challenges them to do what? If you had been here, what does Jesus say? What did I say to you? But if you had been here, what did I say to you? I said, if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. Now listen to me. You are not operating in faith until you release your plan altogether and say, God, speak to me and I will believe what you say. Faith is not imposing your plan on God and getting him to respond. Faith is moving yourself into a place where you believe and hear what God has to say and you stand on that firm footing. He says, do you believe that your brother will rise again? Yes, I believe in the last day. And, and there are all kinds of reasons people say Jesus wept. I don't think he wept over Lazarus being dead because he knew what was going to happen. I believe he wept over the unbelief of people that said they loved him and knew him and trusted him and then rejected him when things didn't go their way. What a great revelation. We're not in charge. Thomas? We're not going to die today. (laughs) Mary and Martha, this story isn't over. I didn't fail you. Sometimes you just need to look in the mirror and say, I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge. 
Sometimes we arrive at a destination that we appreciate, but we didn't enjoy the journey. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Didn't enjoy how I got here, but I believe I'm in the right place. Delay reminds us that we are not in charge. And last, now listen to this carefully, please. A temporal miracle will never solve a spiritual problem. A temporal miracle cannot solve a spiritual problem. Lazarus is dead. That's a temporal problem. There's a day coming that death and dying will be gone. And we know that when we die, we go to heaven to live forever. Death is a temporal problem. There's a day coming that that enemy called death will be done away. Every time we stand at a grave, every time I do a funeral, I try to remind them that this isn't the end of the story. This isn't the end of the journey. This is a transition moment. And we need to remind ourselves that we're going from here to an eternal destination. It's, in, it's interesting to me how the language goes. Look at verse 43. When he said this, let me back up to verse um, 42. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you've sent me. I'm not praying because I don't think you've heard me. I'm praying because... They need to know that you sent me. And there's a specific language used here that sometimes we just read over, but I think it's an intentional, um, an intentional statement to grab our attention. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus. <laughs> now let's stop right there. Why are you calling out to a dead man? Dead people can't hear you. Come on, they can't hear you. He's not calling out to Lazarus so Lazarus can hear. He's calling out so the people around can hear who he's calling to. The force of the miracle. Now, I know we have those great songs, and I love those. I love the song that kind of tells the story of Lazarus in heaven, and he's sitting down with Moses and Elijah and, and uh, the prophets, and they're all telling stories, and all of a sudden, he's in heaven, and he hears, Lazarus. What is that? Lazarus. I don't know if that's how it happened. I just know that if he had just said, come forth, every sepulcher would have opened that day. <laughs> Yeah, this isn't for everybody today. This isn't for everybody. Why wasn't it for everybody? Because that day hadn't come yet. That day will come, hadn't come yet. And there was a purpose in Lazarus coming back from the dead. Do you, he didn't talk about this. But let me just ask you. Do you think Lazarus was glad he got raised from the dead? I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have been. I mean, dying once, don't want to do that. But when that happens, and then you wake up, where is he? He's not in limbo. He's not in purgatory. To be absent from the body is the presence of the Lord. He's in. I've got something to say here. Someone's not going to like this, but it's all right. It's all right, because you need to hear it. Lazarus was in the presence of God. Do you know what that means? He saw Jesus. He saw the pearly gates. He saw the streets of gold. He was there. He saw it. And he came back from the dead, but he didn't write a book about it. 
be careful about those books. But I can't imagine him saying, man, I thought I was going to have to stay in heaven. Man, I'm glad that's over with. This earth is such a great place. Now, you'd say that if you went to hell. But not if you went to heaven. He calls them back. Lazarus, come forth. And then the Bible says, this has really made me smile. The dead man came out. John wants you to know, this wasn't a stand-in. This wasn't a trick. Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out. He was dead, buried, or, or entombed. He's, he's done with this life's journey. And he comes out. There's a whole other sermon here, but he comes out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. I'm just telling you, would you read this story like it really happened? Can you imagine one moment, last you knew, you were getting kind of tired, not feeling good, and you just kind of slip away. We don't hear anything other than he just kind of slipped away, and you wake up in heaven. Then you hear your name called, and the next thing you know, you're standing up, wrapped in grave clothes, with, a, with cloths around your face. I would have freaked out. <laughs> Trying to get out of that, like, what? Yeah, is there anybody in the house right now? Like, what just happened? What just happened? I was in the presence of God, and I've got these stinking clothes on, and I can't see anything, and nobody's helping me, and I'm just stuck here. Because he was dead. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. That is the essence of the gospel. Jesus raises the dead. We have to loose them and let them go. It's a different message, but it's one I just thought I'd throw into you. Why did they have to loose him? Because when you touch a dead man, he's cold. You ever touched a dead body? It's cold. But they began to unwrap him. They knew something that no one else had ever experienced. <laughs> They are unwrapping a dead man that they wrapped up. They knew he was dead. They could have attested to that. And God wanted this demonstration of the resurrection to be hands-on. They're going to need it in a little while when they see Jesus hanging on the cross. And they hear stories of the resurrection. He wanted something in their hand. He wanted them equipped to be able to believe. He wanted them to be able to stand in faith. And there's a demonstration that they will be able to hold on to when a bigger battle is fought. But the miracle of resurrection didn't solve the physical problem or the spiritual problem. Uh, Lazarus is going to die again. He's going to die again. <laughs> it's like rerun. Death 101. What, I wonder what his tombstone said. You know, like 30 AD to, 50, to 60 or whatever. 1950 to 1980 and 1980 you know like there's two sets of numbers. what happened here well that was that little window that he stayed alive there were a couple of years there he came back from the dead what an incredible story but it didn't solve 
death. It didn't solve death. Often, we think if we change our circumstances, everything will be okay. Changing your circumstances won't help if the problem is spiritual. If you move away to get away from a problem, I hate to break this to you, but that problem will go with you. Why? Because you go where you go. That problem's gonna go with you. Well, if I had a different job, if I had more money, if I had a different spouse, if I had different kids, if I had a different car, if I had a different gun, if I had a different on and on it goes, if I could just change my circumstances, everything else would change. If I could just get in better shape, if I could just lose some weight, if I could, on and on it goes. And I'm telling you that fixing a physical problem won't fix a spiritual one. And none of those other things are wrong. It's wrong when you try to fix a spiritual problem with temporal physical change. It won't fix it. Lazarus is going to die again because the problem of death is spiritual. And the answer to death isn't settled yet until the resurrection. And the same principle holds true to us. You have to understand that a temporal miracle can't solve a spiritual problem. Many years ago, I listened to a psychiatrist talk about mental illness. And he was saying that there is still a battle with mental illness after someone comes to faith in Christ. Because simply making a commitment isn't all that needs to happen. There's a work that has to be done on the inside that heals the mind, that liberates the spirit, that liberates the soul. And this morning, please, if you're in a place where, you think, where you're saying to yourself, if my circumstances would change, do you know that you can have joy in a job that's frustrating to you? Do you know that God can put joy in a marriage where you're tearing each other up? Come on, I'm telling you that a physical change doesn't solve a spiritual problem, Lazarus is still going to have to die another time. What is all this about? It's about people being equipped to believe in the resurrection. Jesus will also die and will rise again, never to die again. <laughs> never to die we need to be empowered to believe Jesus delay was unreasonable by human standards but when you reread the story it's totally reasonable if you want to see the glory of God then it's totally reasonable he does work in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. So don't chafe at those times when you feel like God is not responding, nothing's happening. Put your confidence.
confidence in him that he already knows what he will do and he has a plan for you to see the glory of God and for your faith to be deepened and for you to be empowered to help someone else who's in the depths of despair. And if you don't get anything else, get this, okay? This would be great on your mirror or your refrigerator, whichever one you go to most. God doesn't owe you an explanation. You owe God faith. Understanding never precedes faith. Faith opens the door for understanding. You don't get to decide whether or not to obey based on the explanation. You choose to obey and understanding will come. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So in those moments, don't say, let's die with him. Don't say, if you'd been here, I wouldn't be in this mess. Just remember, if you'll believe, come on, if you'll believe, you will see the glory of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment. I felt like God spoke to me intentionally. I don't know what happened to the time here. I apologize for that. But I don't want to interrupt this portion. Here's what I want to ask. I know there's individuals here, they're in that spot. It feels like God has delayed and you don't understand why. And you're saying this morning, no one looking around, you're saying this morning, I am choosing to trust in the midst of the delay. And this morning I'm changing my direction. Would you lift your hand? Thank you, hands going up all around. Hold them up high, hold them up high. God, you see our hands raised. We don't understand what you're doing. But even when we don't understand, we will believe and we will obey, knowing that you work in mysterious ways. Let's stand together, Pastor Nathan, lead us. Let's let God cement that into our spirits this morning. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you, I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you, I worship you. your voice and sing, you are way made. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle work, promise keeper, 
Light of the darkness, my God, that is. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. unexplainable delay keep trusting and you will be equipped to see the glory of God in ways you would never see any other way amen 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 I believe that I believe that thank you for your financial giving thank you for blessing the Hannons thank you for your financial support whether you do it online or as you're going out or you do it in the mail we just so appreciate all you're doing for the building of the kingdom and I believe the world is looking for people who have an answer when there are no answers because our faith is in Jesus. Amen. If you love him, let me hear your hands this morning. What a great God we serve. Amen. God bless.